This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in. We're back in Romans chapter 12 today, looking at verse 2, where Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we continue our discussion from before, I want to emphasize again the practical goal of all Scripture, as stated in 2 Timothy three, sixteen and 17, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or complete and equipped for every good work. A lot of absolute said in that statement, uh, adequate or complete, uh, meaning totally sufficient for every good work or equipped for every good work. So all scripture, even those narratives in the Old Testament, even all the poetry that we find in the Psalms and the enigmatic sayings of the prophets and some obscure doctrines in the Levitical law of Moses, all of it, all scripture is first and foremost inspired by God, given by God, and second, it is useful to teach, correct, and train in the way of righteousness. There is something to be learned and maybe difficult to ascertain, but difficult is a far cry from impossible, and we simply have to be prayerful and patient as we look to the Word of God to seek a better understanding of Him that we may uh, discover how to be uh, more pleasing to Him and live in a way that is pleasing to Him. God didn't want to give us something to talk about on Sundays. It's His Word is more than that. He always had a goal in mind and has a goal in mind. And the goal is that we would have faith in Him, that we would recognize our dependence upon Him, that we would love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we would pursue Him. First Timothy 1.5, Paul says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And that's true for all genres found in Scripture. And Romans 12 Verses 14 and 15, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So how do most people respond when they are wronged? You know, we looked at the first half of this uh, text uh, a few weeks ago and now picking up in verse 14 and this topic of discussion where Paul says, this is your response. You bless in return. You don't, you don't curse someone who's cursing you or persecuting you and you rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And uh, how do we usually, generally speaking, how do we respond when someone does us wrong or someone is persecuting us? You know, if someone's rude to you or vulgar um, or just doesn't have any qualms about mistreating you, how do you react? I think most people respond. I think it's fair to say that most people respond with the same behaviors as those folks or, you know, with the philosophy of give them a taste of their own medicine or something like this and then feel completely justified in doing so. Right? that's how that's how I usually want to respond. You know, when someone cuts you off in traffic, you want to try and do the same thing. You, you just have this knee jerk reaction, emotional reaction that's seated in, you know, in your emotions or in anger specifically. But God has called us to do something different something greater, something higher and far more challenging than vengeance. 
instead of calling down a curse or, you know, give him a taste of their own medicine or wishing for divine wrath or something like this, we're commanded to ask for a blessing instead. Bless and do not curse. So how often have we allowed our anger to get the best of us? How long have we harbored bitterness towards someone who has wronged us? God teaches us to release those things, do what's necessary to overcome them, appreciate what he has done for us, and appreciate the fact that he, and recognize the fact that vengeance belongs to him. He is the final judge, and that doesn't mean that we don't have responsibilities to judge others ourselves or even um, uh, judge our, our own lives in comparison to his to his word. But But the point is, is that we are not the executors of his wrath and justice. He is. That executive authority belongs to him. Now we can warn and influence and show people scriptures uh, that teach what God's expectations are and what he is going to do and how he's going to judge and the standard of his judgment, which is his word. John 12 and verse 40, if memory serves, or verse 48. But as far as our reaction to people and our treatment of people who are mistreating us, God teaches us to bless and not curse. And Christ is, is the perfect example of this and perfectly demonstrated this command that he expects of us, uh, expects us to follow through with in his own life. He, even to the very end, you know, in Luke 23 and verse 34, when he is being killed. And so it's very hard to get our heads, I think, around that that event and you know for lack of you know this is not biblical terminology but for lack of uh, better verbiage get you know get inside of his head we're given some insight in places like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 about what he was thinking and the pain emotional pain that he was feeling physical certainly there as as well but in spite of all of that and suffering in that way and suffering unjustly you know, suffering for things that he had not done. He was completely innocent, yet at the same time in that situation, he prays, Father, forgive forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prayed to his father to forgive the people who were killing him. And that's a powerful example, If and it will have its intended effect if we would remember it and meditate upon it. Uh, and, and not just that particular instance. I think that's a powerful um, a moment and example, but his, his entire life, there's many, I think, instances which we could single out where we see his example in uh, treating people with kindness and blessing them and being charitable and gracious despite their ugliness to him and their hostility toward him. And that should motivate us, and it will motivate us, uh, to treat others the same way, to, to bless them and be willing to forgive because he has forgiven us. Right? That's one of the teaching points within Scripture in places like Ephesians 4.32 and elsewhere. Where In that case, Paul says, be kind to one another and tenderhearted and forgive each other even as Christ, even as God has forgiven you in Christ. Um or as God has forgiven you for Jesus' sake. And so Paul is making this connection and wanting us to to make the connection as well that we should respond in kind and, and think about this forgiveness that we have received through Christ 
if we're Christians and we have taken advantage of his sacrifice and have that spiritual blessing of, of forgiveness to, to dwell on that. And that should motivate us then to follow through with what Paul is saying, to be kind to one another, to treat one another in this way and forgive, forgive one another, have this attitude that's eager to forgive. And the second part of this verse that we read in Romans 12, where Paul speaks of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. You know, we have this responsibility in addition to blessing and not cursing as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to share uh, many things and not the least of which of those are our joys and sorrows. And so there's a lot of assumptions made within that verse, right? The assumption, for example, that we know what someone's joy is or the source of someone's joy or why someone's upset or why they are sorrowful. Uh, one of the defining characteristics of our Lord, while he was on earth, um, was his sympathy. Jesus felt compassion, and the gospel writers record many times that he will observe an individual or observe uh, a group of people and will comment that he felt compassion for them or he was moved uh, with compassion for them and their circumstance and their situation uh, with this, you know, his friends, Mary and Martha, and the death of their brother in, in John chapter 11, as he's weeping, you know, when he sees the sorrow of Martha and Mary over the loss of their brother Lazarus, who was also his friend, you know, we we see him sympathizing with with them in that. And the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 4.15 that he as a high priest, that Jesus as high priest is one who can understand and sympathize with our weaknesses. And it's not that I don't think the point is is that he couldn't before before he became a man because he is God and he knows all things. Uh, but the point is is that he was proving to us and he was willing to come down and become a man and subject himself even to uh, death by murder and and torture to prove to us that he knows what the human experience is like. It wasn't something that he needed or that would benefit him in any way. It was all for our benefit. And it was to demonstrate his love and 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 who he is and what he's willing to do to forgive us and how much he wants to uh, sympathize with us. So his and and that and and understanding that and seeing that in the scriptures and as people who lived in his time and observed him and his kindness and his love, that was a compelling influence on. On them, and it and it is, and it should be for us as well. It's it was one of the things that drew people to him because they knew that he cared, and he's calling us to do the same here in this this command in Romans chapter twelve that we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And in order to do that, we have to be uh, sympathetic or empathetic people, and uh, that's not always easy to do. You know, we are are disillusioned with the world and hopefully become less naive as we as we get older, but we can never allow our hearts to grow cold and close them off to the needs and the feelings of our brethren. Uh, we need to continue to be compassionate and understanding. You know, it's a, I, I can't help but think of that verse specifically, uh, you know, as a husband, I can't help but think of that verse specifically in First Peter 3 where Peter calls, he says, husbands, dwell with your wives in an understanding way, treating her as um, the weaker vessel. And so 
you know, in any relationship, there's going to be um, uh, conflict as a result of misunderstanding or just as a result of uh, selfishness and moments of weakness and things like this. But nevertheless, the standard is before us to have this attitude of understanding and compassion and a willingness to uh, try to sort things out and and, and be that uh, have that empathy, even though even though you may not completely understand the source of someone else's sorrow or why someone would be so upset about, you know, what whatever the case may be, we should still try and be sympathetic and as understanding as we can be toward them because that is what I believe we see in, in Jesus. Whether it be in joy or in sorrow, we should try to take an active, genuine interest and respond accordingly. You know, Paul says in First Corinthians twelve and verse twenty six, if one part suffers Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. As he's talking about the body of Christ and and the individuals, of course, who, who make up that body. So, again, this means, at least in my mind, um, that we have that knowledge of one another. What to, you know? What's going on in your life? Are you, what uh, is a source of joy? What um, is a source of sorrow, perhaps, so that it means transparent relationships. And neither happiness nor sorrow can be diffused or enjoyed among us, depending on which one you're talking about, obviously. If we don't take the time to be together and share our lives with, with one another, and and that can be a, t- a challenge in this day and age, because we're a culture of busy schedules, we just have uh, so much going on and so much disposable income and so much disposable uh, time in that, um, you, you know, we just have all these hobbies at our fingertips and we have family and we have work and we have, you know, the, the things that we give time to uh, anyway that we have to make time to get to know our brethren and and be with them, you know, we, we find in, in Acts chapter 2 that um, that they were continuing, that those first Christians were continuing with one another day by day, it says. Uh, they were taking their meals together with gladness, and then they were having this kind of social fellowship, which is not the way that the New Testament typically uses fellowship. I'm, I'm using it in that that way, but there was this, there was this joint participation in 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 social activities that wasn't the you know the goal of their fellowship in God there it was it was of a spiritual nature in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 and they were uh, devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and and to prayer and so they were working together in the word and in the, in the teaching and growing and trying to ascertain a better understanding of this new covenant and they were worshiping according to uh, the the new uh, rules that were being laid down in this new covenant. But they were also, if you keep reading in verse forty six, this is where uh, I was the verse I was citing a moment ago. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Uh, so. Uh, they they spent time together and they seemed and they enjoyed spending time together because of this newfound uh, faith and this new covenant and all the spiritual blessings that it imparted. They wanted to be 
with one another who have that same precious faith and encourage one another and strengthen one another. So, you know, you know, how else can the joy of one become the joy of all? And how else can the pain of one be shared by my all? And Jesus understood this and he knew what he was doing in establishing the, the local church arrangement, you know, as we uh, see him uh, calling us and calling his people to assemble together. And that also, I think, is assumed in just the epistles themselves, right? They're addressed to the Christians in Colossae or Philippi or Corinth or whatever the case case may be. Um, so do we are are we striving to follow that pattern? And do we recognize, you know, the, the weaknesses that beset us in that regard? You know, if we uh, aren't typically sympathetic, I think you can argue some people are more compassionate than others uh, naturally just because of their their disposition and their personality and how they are brought up and any number of factors. But I guess what I'm saying is that some of us have to work at it more than others. It, and we can't allow that to become an excuse for us, for us not to do it. And uh, we also need to examine ourselves and make sure that we are not uh, holding ourselves away from our brethren as a result of our pride. You know, the older brother of the prodigal son refused to share in the rejoicing of his brother's return in Luke fifteen thirty two because of his, his pride. And he thought that he deserved preferential treatment because of his prior faithfulness. And if we think in those same terms, we're going to fail uh, fail to fulfill this command that we've been given because we'll never see others as worthy of our attention, as worthy of our affection and sympathy. But we're going to, at the same time, selfishly claim a right to theirs uh, and want attention and want uh, to be elevated. And, and that's just a, that's as a result of our pride. Pride, arguably more than anything, destroys unity and keeps us from identifying and sharing the joys and sorrows of our brethren. And the same context in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, Paul says, Be of the same mind toward one another, and do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, and do not be wise in your own estimation. So Paul is reminding us um, that that Christians are to have this equal regard for each other, that we're to have, be of the same mind toward one another. And, you know, it's the same instruction that he gave to the church at Philippi in chapter 2 when he says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. So how can that be accomplished? What must our our attitude be? Well, you see the inverse of haughtiness as humility, right? So pride again is being addressed and Paul is saying that that can't have place among us. We have to be uh, lowly in mind. We have to have this humility. And if we don't, we're not going to be ready for the humble task of serving one another, serving those who are less fortunate if we're on our high horse all the time. And if we balk or if we completely withdraw from certain acts of service, or people simply because we think the service or the person is too demeaning, then again, pride is controlling us. Pride is controlling us. Just look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So, lest we think we've got it right and we don't need any correction, the Spirit says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Right, so those who are conceited in their wisdom will never bring themselves to humbly obey. And so we have to, again, examine ourselves, 
test ourselves to see if we are this this kind of people, right? God's people are a certain quality of people that he has defined. So it's not based on race. It's not based on gender or age or anything like this. It's a, it's a quality of person that he is looking for and calling people to be with whom he identifies and will accept. So we have to ask ourselves, do I meet that um, qualification? Or am I trying to, right? Certainly some of us are nearer to the mark than others and more compassionate than others and more service-oriented than others, And but we should all be doing our best with the talents and abilities and opportunities that we, we have. And then challenge each other to do better. Challenge each other to do better. And then finally, Paul says in, in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how, again, we, we're back to where we started. How difficult is it to do to others as you would have them do to you when they're being rude or cursing you or something like this? Or even if, you know, we're talking about uh, historically, in historical terms, maybe there's somebody who have betrayed you uh, who or who have lied uh, to you or about you uh, at some point in the past. Um, but uh, the you know this command to treat others as you would be treated still applies regardless of of what has happened in the past. Uh, the knee jerk reaction again is for us to let anger take control or to, to rehash all of those those past events. Um, and we can and we certainly have every right to rebuke and reprove and correct, but we never have a right to return evil for evil. Verse seventeen of chapter 12. So if we're hated, we can't give way to hating. If we do, then we're just playing right into the enemy's hands and we've been overcome by evil. We we've lost and we are lost and we're and we're no better than those who obey their evil desires. But Paul says in Romans chapter 8 as we discussed previously, if we if by the spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the body and holding fast to the mind of Christ and his principles, then we can overcome evil with good. Right? It, it has to do with adopting that mindset and attitude of, of Jesus that Paul describes in, in Philippians chapter 2. Even though he was God in the flesh, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a man, and not just a man, but a servant, and he became subject to death, and not just any death, but the humiliating death on the cross. Right. So it, it was that humility that led God Most High to serve in the most demeaning and and, and lowliest of, of ways. And, and even though he was mistreated and slandered, he had the humility to continue to serve, serve his Father and do the right thing. And that's a, there's power in that. And there's power, and the power of the gospel will be made manifest in our lives if we, if we continue to follow his example, if we continue in kindness and compassion and speak the truth and love to those who persecute us. So again, it's not about being a, a, a doormat or just being, or just rolling over and letting some, letting someone mistreat you. You know, we have the right to uh, protect ourselves and, you know, civil authorities exist for a reason. Romans chapter 13 but uh, if if it's a matter of you know people doing this because of uh, the faith again we and we have the right to rebuke and reprove and speak speak the truth but that doesn't mean we do it with a heart full of hate or we do it with vindictiveness and, and vengeance or something like this 
we can silence the in, the the ignorance of foolish people. Peter says we will, we will silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good, and put to shame those who revile and ridicule us again by by staying the course. First Peter two twenty five, and so you know this week or today at some point you're going to find yourself a target of carnal people of worldly people, and it may be you know very mild compared to what the first century Christians endured. But nevertheless, it's, it's there. And I think increasingly so, you can make the case. Um, you know, the Lord, remember that the Lord was once a man too, and that he died to overcome evil with good. And people hurled their insults at him, but he didn't retaliate. He suffered, and he made no threats. And he got angry. And we can see that in the Gospels. And he told people the truth, and he said some very biting things, but he never did it from a heart of hate. He he told people that they were vipers and snakes and whitewashed tombs. I'm persuaded precisely because he he loved them, and that's because what they that's what they needed to hear. And he, even saying such things can be said in in love. So we can follow his example and. And we should follow his example and pray for those who persecute us and and do good to them who hate you, he says. And his example and his word will transform us to be more like him. But we have to allow ourselves to be. And that takes humility. And this is the only way. His way is the only way. So I appreciate you tuning in today. And I hope you continue to think on these words from Paul and uh, study Romans chapter 12 as we strive to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Are we resolved to serve and worship Him and devote our entire being to doing so and becoming more like Him as we search and study His Word and, and humble ourselves before it that we may be transformed? Again, thanks for tuning in. I hope to hear from you at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com or leonvalleychurch.org is our website where you can find a contact form there and submit your thoughts and questions. Until next time, I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.